There are some things in life that are worth waiting for. Uh, I was thinking about some of those things. Christmas time, Christmas dinner, I think is worth uh, saving just a little bit of room. It's really hard with grandma's cookies and, and all the snacks, but it's worth waiting for the, the better thing to come. And then the pie afterwards, you always got to remember that. You know, a, a good deal on a vehicle usually isn't the first car you see on Auto Trader. It takes a little bit of time sometimes to find the right deal, the one you want for the right price. A good spouse is worth the wait. But there's something even more worthwhile than all those things. There's someone who was worth the wait, someone worth pursuing. And that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been going through the book of Luke and we've been uh, seeing, first of all, the anticipation of Jesus coming. And last week we talked about his birth. Now we're going to look at some testimonies of who Jesus is following his birth. And, you know, the people of God have been waiting a long time for the promised Messiah. We see that longing throughout the Old Testament, whether you read the, the life of Abraham and the promise that God had given to him, or the Psalms of David and the hope of deliverance, or the prophets who proclaimed his coming. And we see that the people of God waited and they waited and there were many who fell away and turned away and experienced the judgment and discipline of God. And yet there was always a people who were faithful to the Lord in the midst of these things. The Romans came and enslaved them. And still a remnant of the people waited. And I think it's it's relatively easy for us to say things like Jesus is the Messiah and the Messiah has come. But sometimes I think we just need a little bit of a reminder, a perspective of what a big deal this was and how long the people of God had been waiting for these things. Many of the saints of old waited their whole lives and they did not see the coming of their Messiah, and yet they trusted the Lord, and, and He was faithful to them throughout their whole lives. My prayer is that we would not lose the wonder of the fact that the Messiah has come after so many long years of waiting. And so today, we're going to look at the testimony uh, of uh, Two people, and also the testimony of Luke that Jesus had fulfilled the law. And these testimonies remind us of who Jesus is again, that he really was the one that God had promised. Jesus was the one God's people had been waiting for. Simeon and Anna, these faithful Jews who had waited for their Lord 
found joy and peace and satisfaction. Hope in seeing him at last. Jesus was worth the wait back then, and he's worth pursuing today. So if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 21 through 24, and we'll look at how Jesus fulfilled the law. We have this testimony uh, right at the very beginning of his life. Luke chapter 2, verse uh, 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And we'll stop there. Here we have this important testimony that our Lord was obedient to the law. He was circumcised like any other Jewish boy. His mother offers the purification sacrifices that were prescribed in the law, the book of the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 12. And he was presented to the Lord for all the firstborn sons were required by law to be redeemed. It's the, the wording there in, in verse 23 is that they shall be set apart and be called holy unto the Lord. And so all the people were to be set apart for the Lord, but especially those who were firstborn. Why does that matter? It matters because as Jesus himself said later on, he says, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That was a part of his purpose in coming. In the same way Jesus would say about his baptism, John was like, well, you don't need to be baptized. I should be the one that gets baptized by you. And Jesus says that this is a fitting thing, that it should be done to fulfill all righteousness. So although Jesus, being the perfect Son of God, already, yet He came under the law. He was born under the law, as Galatians 4, verse 4 tells us. And in Galatians 4, we also read in verse 5 the reason why he did so. The reason why he came, why he was born under the law and fulfilled the law, was that he might redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So though he did not have to, he came under the law, and this testimony demonstrates that he is able to free us from the curse of the law. If he had not done so, he could not be called the blameless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God. The sacrifice that Hebrews tells us is able to make perfect those who are the saints 
those who believe in Him. So this is important because it demonstrates who He is, that He came, that He is the Savior, the one who is able to save His people from their sins. It also demonstrates that He's the true Son of David and Son of Abraham. What Son of Abraham and Son of David was not circumcised. It shows who he was in truth. He was someone worth waiting for. He was the promised Messiah. So we have this testimony that is given by Luke. And uh, he also records for us the testimony of two faithful Jews, um, Simeon, first, and then Anna. So we'll look at uh, Simeon in verses 24 to 25, uh, 20, 25 to 27, sorry. Okay, in 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. Here we go. We'll stop there. And Simeon is described as a just and devout man. A man who, who honored the Lord and did what was pleasing in his sight. A man of character. And we see that he has a relationship with God by, by faith that's demonstrated in, in two things. It's demonstrated in the fact that the Spirit of God was upon him, and it's demonstrated in that he was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation, a word that means the comfort of, of Israel. He was looking forward to the fulfillment of the promises that were given by the prophets. Promises where God declared that he himself would be the consolation of his people. He himself would be their source of comfort and strength. One such passage um, is Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2, where we read, Comfort... Comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to, it, to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Iniquity is pardoned. God would bring an end to the warfare. And comfort his people. And then in verses 9 through 11, it goes on, and God says, Go on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up and fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules before him. His reward is with him. And his recompense before him. 
He will tend his flock like a shepherd. And he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. What a promise to look forward to, to trust in, to know that God would forgive their sins and come to lead his people himself with tender care. By grace, God has kept a remnant of people like Simeon, people who believed in these promises and who were not going to miss the coming of their king. They were ready to believe, to see him. Simeon had waited for many years, and now he testifies of Jesus. Look again at the beginning of verse 27. He came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Do we see that Simeon testifies of the salvation of the Lord, that it has come in this little child? And specifically, I'm going to focus on three things that he talks about. He talks about the peace of salvation which the Lord has given him. He talks about the scope of salvation to whom salvation is offered and given. And he talks about the, the great divide of salvation, we'll call it. And we'll come to these things each in turn. First of all, he speaks of the peace that God has given him. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. We see that uh, this Messiah having come, he is ready. He's prepared. He feels that his mission, so to speak, on this earth is done. What the Lord had promised to him by his spirit was fulfilled and he is at peace. Jesus was only a little baby. And yet Simeon knew by the spirit that he was the promised savior. He trusted in in the word of the Lord. And his spirit was at work in his heart. And he believed God. And only Jesus can provide such peace and the hope that Simeon had all through those years looking forward to this moment. I think of the words that Isaiah prophesied. He will come like a shepherd with Tender care, he will lead the sheep. And he would hold the lambs 
and be gentle with those who were with young. This is the God who has come, the good shepherd. And Simeon is at peace. Simeon also captures the scope of salvation in his song. He says, you prepared in the presence of all peoples, verse 31, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Several times the prophets speak of a light for the nations, Isaiah in particular, in one such verse that stands out is Isaiah 49, verse 6. And the Lord says, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the remnant of Israel. It is too small a thing that I should save a remnant from one nation. One, He says, I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So here we see the depth of the mercy and grace of God that it extends to all peoples and to all the world. Simeon testifies together with Isaiah that in Christ salvation is offered to all peoples. Jesus didn't come for just a select special few, but to all who would receive him. The gospel is good news for all the people of Israel and for the Gentiles also. But though salvation is offered to all, the last thing that Simeon speaks, which we'll read in a moment, was a sober warning. His people have a choice and a responsibility before their Creator. And so he spoke of salvation as a great divide. That'd be my wording, though. But let's continue reading. Verses 33 to 35. And his father and mother, they heard what um, Simeon was saying, and they marveled. And Simeon blessed them, verse 34, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Not the most pleasant words to end on. It's a somber warning given to Parents of the Messiah. But Simeon speaks truthfully about the division that would come because of Jesus and the sorrow for those who cared about him. This little child, Simeon says, would be the cause of the fall and rising of many in Israel and ultimately across the whole world. If you don't believe this to be true, I would invite you to consider the ministry of Jesus. Everywhere he went, the hearts 
the people were divided. You see everything from people saying that he was a drunk and a glutton and demon-possessed to, to the testimony of the disciples and of, of Simon Peter who said, you are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. Jesus himself said to us in, in his disciples in Luke chapter 12, 51, he says, do you think that I have come to just give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. It's a hard word to say. From now on, he says, in one house, there's going to be five divided. There's going to be three against two and two against three. And so Jesus does not promise that all shall receive him. Some would believe, some would accept him for who he was. They would believe as Simeon and Anna as the shepherds and, and some would not. Later on, Jesus would quote to the leaders, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, and he would speak of the cornerstone that would be rejected. In Isaiah 8, we read that the Lord himself would be a rock to trip over for some who would reject him. And yet for those who believe, we are told that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, the foundation of the people of God, of the church. Jesus, this little child, is the one who is the salvation of the world. And he is the dividing line, so to speak, between all of humanity. Salvation brings peace in Jesus Christ for those who believe him. Ephesians 2 says that he bought peace with his own blood. That two opposing peoples, Jewish people and Gentiles, that all peoples might in him become a part of a new family, become part of his chosen people. But this salvation is only for those who depend on Jesus, and who believe in whom he says he is, in whom the scriptures testify that he is, that he is Lord and Savior. So there's nothing else that brings peace. This is why it's a sober warning that the child would determine the fall and rising of many. So we've seen the, the peace of salvation, that the scope of salvation that is offered to all, and yet there is 
His choice. What will you do with Jesus? Will you believe in Him? Will you turn away? We'll turn now briefly to the testimony of Anna. It's very short, but I I love uh, reading about her in these four verses. Uh, Luke 2, 36 to 40. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything, according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Anna was a woman of great character. Her husband had died for many years. She would not depart from the temple. She loved the Lord. She was devoted to Him in fasting and prayer. I think there's an important lesson there for us. She sought to be as close to the Lord as possible. She devoted her life to him. And so it's fitting that she gives thanks and she speaks of Christ to, to the others that we're told were waiting for their Messiah. They're waiting for the redemption of Israel. And she was given this role, this place to testify of Jesus to those that were there, to those who also were waiting for the Lord's coming. And that long wait was over. Christ had finally come. And those that sought him were satisfied in him. Because they believed in the word of God. And they found their rest in him. So... Here in Luke chapter 2, 21 to 39 or 40, we have the testimony that Jesus fulfilled the law, that he did as as, uh, he said he would come to save his people from their sins. He was the true and promised Messiah. We have the testimony of those who waited for their Lord. Testimony that he had come, that the salvation of the Lord was here on the earth. That in Jesus, the peace of salvation is the real deal. Even death isn't scary at the end of life. When the Lord calls us home, we can have peace. In Jesus, we see that the scope of salvation is it is offered unto all peoples. 
In John 1, verse 12, the apostle tells us, To all who have received him, he gave the right to become children of God. We also see that in Jesus, the dividing line of salvation is clear. John 3.18 makes it fairly simple when it says, The one who believes in him is not condemned. The one who does not believe is already condemned. And so the choice is yours. The choice is is ours. Knowing about such a great salvation that the saints of old long to see, will you pursue Jesus? Will you seek him with all your heart and wait for his return with all your might? Will you believe in him? As one who knows of the wonderful grace of God, I plead with you, don't turn aside after other things. There's nothing else worth waiting for, worth pouring your life into, worth worrying about or focusing on. Nothing else in all of creation is worth pursuing. Whether it's your cell phone or your family or your job or your rights or the acceptance of people, none of that's worth pursuing more than the Lord. There's no peace found in such things. It's those who pursue Christ, who wait for Him, who look to Him for strength each day. It's those who hunger and thirst for Him that will be satisfied. He was worth the wait, and He's worth pursuing still today.